Hi, I'm George Tekmachov. Time for another Easton Target Archery podcast. Riding solo right now because Steve is uh, down and out with a whatever the winter crud of the uh, moment <laughs> is at the moment. And uh, seems like he's getting better, but uh, he's not quite feeling up to podcasting quite yet. So hopefully this upcoming week before uh, Christmas, we will have one more podcast in the can before the end of the year. But uh, running solo right now. Hope you don't mind. Well, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks since the last time uh, we podcasted. And uh, I went to Taiwan for the World Indoor Series event, the second World Indoor Series event of the year. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Also, World Archery's executive board got together and uh, passed a slew of uh, resolutions that includes running all the World Cup stage hosts all the way through 2027. So now we know where World Cups will be in the next few years. Cities that will be hosting the stages of the World Cup uh, were selected in uh, a meeting that took place in the very pleasant Turkish coastal resort of Belek, Turkey. In this um, upcoming season, of course, we've got the Olympic Games in 2024. So it will be a shorter 2024 season. Shanghai is back on the calendar, along with Yichon, Korea, and Antalya, Turkey. And uh, Antalya will also be the final qualifier for the Olympic Games in Paris. Now, for 2025 through 2027, there's going to be an event in Florida at Haines City, and then Shanghai, Antalya, and Madrid. And we'll have a podcast to talk about the Florida event in the future. But uh, for now, the World Cup coming back to American soil... 2025 through 2027. And uh, each season-ending final is kind of a year-by-year thing. We do know that next year, the final is going to be in Mexico, which sounds like a good idea because the last time it was in Mexico this year, it was a smashing success. People in Mexico love those types of events. Enthusiastic spectators and good organizations. This time it's going to be in Hermosillo in the northern state of Sonora in Mexico, and that'll be after four stages in Turkey, Medellin, Colombia, Paris, France, and one city still to be decided for 2023. They also awarded the 2024 World Archery Field Championships to Lac La Biche in Canada, which previously held the 3D World Championship in 2019. Now, we knew it was going to be in Canada. We had a pretty good idea where. Now it's official. Taipei is going to remain a stop on the Indoor Archery World Series in the 2024 and 2025 seasons. There will be a 250-level event at the World Archery Excellence Center added, and that's going to be in Switzerland, in Lausanne, and that'll be a great place for a uh, a World Cup, uh, excuse me, a World Series indoor. Tough to to adapt the new title after 10 years of the previous one. Let's talk about uh, what happened in Taiwan a little bit. Stage 2 of the Indoor World Series was held just a couple of weeks after Stage 1, which took place in Luxembourg. Stage 2 was in Taipei City in Taiwan, and a total of 12 countries sent about 300 competitors to the event. The event went really smoothly, especially for a first-time event. The organization was really good. The organizing committee knew what they were doing. Of course, a a lot of the folks on the organizing committee, like Ting Ni Chen of Chinese Taipei, are well-seasoned assistants to world archery for events and have a lot of experience in helping put these things on. The INSEO team was there, so the results ran like clockwork. And the finals went really well. Um, I think that the finals were very engaging, very interesting to watch, and uh, they were streamed by WA and by the organizers. 
I did some TV interviews with some of the athletes. Some of that material will be showing up on YouTube in various places, those usual channels where you find that sort of thing on World Archery's uh, various media entities. But, you know, what I really enjoyed seeing was just the sheer enthusiasm for indoor archery in a place that doesn't have much indoor archery. When I landed in uh, Taipei City, it was about 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Pretty pleasant weather. I mean, it was raining, but, you know, compared to coming from Salt Lake City, where right now it's 12 degrees as I speak to you, it was a pleasant experience to arrive in Taiwan with, you know, reasonable temperatures. Well, those reasonable temperatures are one of the reasons why places like that don't have much indoor archery. And interestingly enough, we saw some aspects of the competition dominated by folks who don't shoot much indoor archery. But one of the highlights for me personally, and I think for a lot of the audience at this event, was the fact that Mike Schlusser and his wife Gabby were there to compete. Mike, of course, showing off his prowess. Uh, he shot something on the order of 117 consecutive tens in both practice and in uh, the qualifying round and in the preliminary rounds, uh, going into you know through the through the elimination rounds, just an amazing display of accuracy. Uh, Mike chose to shoot Easton X twenty three aluminum arrows um, out of his new Hoyt Stratos, and uh, clearly it's working. And we did talk to Mike and Gabby about their experience before going into the finals. Thought you might enjoy what they had to say. Mike and Gabby Schlusser, we're in Taiwan, and. Um, one question I get from some of my friends is, why did they come such a long way to shoot this tournament here? Um, it was, for me, were two choices for me, like the Rushmore Rumble or uh, the, this one. Rushmore uh, Rumble is in Yankton say, yeah, this week, yeah. the uh, same time as we're speaking right exactly. now. Exactly. So for me personally, it was uh, like a 50-50. Um, I like both tournaments, I think. Uh, for me, the reason I came here was because Kaip was going to join me. Because she was not coming to the Rushmore Rumble, but she was like, an in the World Cup, I will do. So for me, it was an important part that we could do it together. And for me, like, I've never been to Taiwan, so that was a big reason why I wanted to come here as well. Because I've been multiple times to Yankton, and after, like, a time of three or four, you know what Yankton is in and out, kind of. So I was like, ah. Yeah, Taiwan is not Yankton. No, definitely not. So uh, I just like new experiences. And, One thing, uh, it's about 50 degrees warmer here than Yankton right now. For sure as well, though. So Gabby, have you been to Taiwan before? No, this is the first time. We've been multiple times in uh, China, yeah. uh, but never. It, we also been to um, Macau yeah. because there was another in the World Cup. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, and we didn't have the chance to come here before. You know, um, I would say Taiwan has a little more in common with Macau than with mainland China. In yeah, general. I, I think, think so as well. well. Yeah. I think so. so. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But wonderful, really cool wonderful people, here. great volunteers, a great venue, really, yeah. I think. Yeah. I just uh, looking at the final venue here, and it looks really awesome. They well, put it well together. Yeah, they did a great job. And it is the first um, world-level indoor that they've had here mm -hmm. in as long as I can remember. I was here in 2016 mm -hmm. for the Asian Championship, mm -hmm. and that's the last major event that I recall being here. So mm -hmm. it's nice that they're able to get a few events here now and, mm -hmm. and, and do that. Yeah. Um, your shooting, Mike, was exemplary so far. You've still got the gold medal match <laughs> coming up, and you're in the gold medal final. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, if I counted correctly, going through practice ends combined with competition, you shot something on the order of 109 consecutive tens, and, and a few more than that. Mm -hmm. um, what, what was your groove like here? Um, in the beginning, it was really good. Um, the further I ended to the finals, the more... Um, my thought process started going, so that was not that good, but my last uh, final was really good again. Um, 
I feel really confident in myself and I think I uh, sometimes push myself too hard. And that was uh, like my, my second match here today it was one of those examples that I want too much of myself and then I start getting upset where shooting one nine and I shouldn't be like that. And then of course, when you get upset by one nine, multiple are coming. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest things. And I just need to like trust myself and just keep on going and do my own process. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't dwell on, on the stuff and I get it. I understand how, you know, you can mm-hmm. kind of self-talk yourself into trouble a little bit. Yeah, that's what happened a bit, but I'm, I'm, I recovered and I'm, I feel good. Gabby, you uh, had an exemplary qualification round. You shot really well. Mm-hmm. You shot very well in most of the passes, um, 10 after 10 after 10 with the recurve, and um, had a couple of close ones earlier. Um, just talk about your, your flow. How are you, how are you approaching your shot here? Well, like, um, it's pretty funny because um, uh, I never had the chance before to shoot indoors, you know, and like, uh, like every year is like a new challenge, you know, and this year my challenge was to kind of replicate my competitions in my trainings. So what I've been doing is just like, um, you know, you have sometimes your process, maybe my kids' process is different than the one I, um, I'm doing right now. Um, but I've been just like, doing my own thing and being myself you know i think that like sometimes we try too much to do better than what we can but when we know that we have certain level uh in training we know that we can do that in competition and it's it's just become becomes natural you know sure so like i've been i've been just trying to do the same uh, and be me yeah like and not do more than i can you know like almost all of the shooters in asia your recurve setup is basically your outdoor setup shooting indoors right now, right? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, yeah. And was that a deliberate choice to keep things kind of consistent feel or you just didn't want to mess around with trying to tune an indoor setup per se? Well, I think that um, that, work, what, that that is what works for me, you know? Like, I feel like um, being outside, like... Uh, and being inside doesn't change that much, just like inside you have like less rings in your target face um so you need to think even less about like what's happening around so um i think that that works for me now there is and i was like i don't think i don't feel like i need to change anything for indoors you know do you shoot field at all um i started uh last year um hasn't been really really good you know like uh there's a reason i'm asking um when we consider shooting indoors 18 meters the body angle especially on a vertical target, is still generally, for most shooters, a little bit less than the body angle for 70 meters outdoors. And so, you know, resetting a little bit, maybe just the feel can be a little different, front foot balance, maybe the hips, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. So did field help you with any of that or? Well, I feel like, um, uh, and I'm gonna talk about myself like years ago, you know, like when I was in Mexico, I just shot 70 meters the whole year, like right. the whole year long, you know, like because we yeah, had always you... good weather. We like we didn't really have for us there was not an indoor season and field was not known. Right, and when you ascended to the national team, the four distance feeda was no longer a thing. Yeah, like that. That was the last year. Yeah. That was the last year. But I also didn't have the chance to do it that much, you right. know. Like I'm, I consider myself a little bit young. Yeah, like sure. I, I didn't experience that much, uh, but. Yeah, moving countries uh, teach me that there's kind of different ways of archery and like having a husband like the one I have. Mm. Um, uh, it's funny, like uh, for me, it was 
it is so easy to do always the same you know you get in your comfort zone and it's just like easy to just don't challenge yourself to do new things and being with Mikey he teach me how to shoot indoors like for example we don't have the chance to shoot um, outside in the in the winter you know because it's so cold um, compared to Mexico so I started like shooting indoors and I was like oh I like this and then I, um, he started shooting field uh, I think it was 2018 or something like that um, he won the world championships that year with like not that much of training you know and then I was like if he does like if he does good I can do good as well like I want to try as well um, and you know like his field is a little bit more complicated than outdoors and indoors sure. that's for sure because you like there's so many factors that are like so different than outdoors and indoors it's kind of a thinking person's archery you know yeah, a yeah, bit, yeah it's so difficult I love it though like I really like it because um like it's never the same right and and that like you know like sometimes you need like a break up from uh outdoors a break from indoors and there's field for you to have fun with your friends and like talk about like not that serious things you know like sure. I, I like that <laughs> that's 100 percent true and i think that uh it makes you a better well-rounded shooter you I know, think to so shoot so. a little bit of field. Mike, you've shot some field. Yeah, yeah, I've done uh, the pro series before I went to the World Archery Field. Um, and that's the challenging field course in Belgium that, uh, that they Germany, that they put Luxembourg. Belgium. Yeah. Um, that was like, it's still by the range finder, so like it's mostly known. So like you just, uh, the things that you need to learn are very simple to learn, like the angles of a get. So that's pretty, like the learning process to the, the IFA fields is easier for me, in my opinion. Then, for example, the World Archery, because you have like a complete day of unknowns. You need to measure yourself. You need to think about a lot of things. And for example, like this year in Yankton, um, we had raining day. Like it's the first time I ever shot a World Archery field in rain. Yeah, and therefore uh, mud. Yeah, for sure. But like for example as well, like the target faces shrink in the yep. rain. Yeah. I didn't like. I know that it happens. Didn't think it on that day. Or so. how much it can affect your range estimation yeah, like because it, it, of that. It, yeah. And like on the, the 80 centimeters, it can change you like a four or five meters easily, and yep. that makes you shoot off like way off. Yep. And that, that's a big difference. And and for those of you listeners who don't know what Mike's talking about, all of us in field archery have a ranging system that generally, if we know the size of the target. Mm and the size of the target is accurate, which is to your point, uh -huh. then we can dial it in, even with a recurve, to within a meter. Yeah, and I with think. a compound, a guy like Mike, half a meter easy. But if the face isn't the right size, you have a problem. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that you learn. Like, it's just by doing it, like, you learn those things, and um, that makes it challenging and that makes it fun. Yes, yeah. And, you know, I guess the fun part is everybody's got to deal with the same problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, like what I feel like um, what happens in fields is that, like, uh, for example, me as a starter, uh, there's a lot of things you know, you don't know, I'm sorry, and there's a lot of things that people with more experience know that you're kind of like, why does it, like, why are we so, like, why is our level so different, you know, like that, that's fun because then you see your friends in like other competitions and you're kind of like, it's a, a little bit different than like what you than what you are used to, kind of. What's next on the agenda for the Schlusser family? <laughs> uh, we're going to celebrate Christmas in, in Mexico with the parents-in-law. Right. Yeah. Um, after that, Nîmes is pretty sure our big, first big competition. So a whole bunch of things in a row then. Yeah, we're doing oh, Nîmes, yeah. uh, Lancaster and Vegas. Yeah, so, Nîmes, yeah. Lancaster and Vegas in that order. And of course, Vegas mm -hmm. is two tournaments in one. 
Yeah. Um, you know, you have that minor thing on Saturday night, and then you got the big deal on Sunday night. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, thanks, guys, for joining me here for the podcast segment. Uh, you're going to get ready for the gold medal final. Uh, mm-hmm. We will talk about the outcome of that coming out of this segment, Steve and I. But I will, uh, I will leave you with this. I believe that every event you get to is a new experience. Mm-hmm. You get to see new people, new places, and the next time you're familiar, you feel more comfortable, and you can continue to you know, have a lot of fun when you come to a place like this. That's I, for I sure. think Taiwan's an awesome place for our Yeah, for sure. Like The volunteers are awesome. The people there are very enthusiastic. Uh, you can see that they're like still like learning their indoor stuff. Um, for them, like it's as well. Like I think they can shoot all year long <laughs> outdoors here. So like they're indoor. Like like a lot of questions. Like I find it really dark in here. Like I cannot see my bubble. I'm like, this venue is really nice. Like there are a lot of places that. Oh, yeah, they uh, have no idea. Then I was yeah, like, yeah. they're like lady. I was like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. Like it, this is one of the best lightings you will get in an indoor competition. 100%. And, she, and she couldn't believe me. She yeah. didn't believe me. It's totally true. But if you're used to just shooting outdoors, you know, it's a a different feeling. And we were able to catch up with them right after the finals. Well, so here's the uh, rest of the story. Mike and Gabby, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Gabby, you were almost Mrs. Perfect. Yeah, I said to think about it and it didn't happen. So, yeah, I'm really happy with how the final went. it was, I was really nervous, you know, because i been shooting really good this whole week, so I was kind of like, oh, you need to make it work right now, you know? Um, and at the end, it went pretty good. Um, that nine, it was just because I wanted it really bad, you know? Yeah, it was but maybe I'm, about two and a half millimeters out. It was really close. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. early, maybe, on the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, I just started thinking about it, and, um, you know, you don't need to think. You just need to shoot. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And your shots all week have been beautiful. I mean, so many tens. It's just incredible. Speaking of tens... Yeah, like felt really good. Like I shot 149, so I'm really happy at it. Also the way how I shot it, so I'm very happy and, and yeah. looking, yeah. Super strong finish. It was great to see. Yeah, thank you. All right, so next on the road. Neem for us. Mexico. Mexico. Vacation. Vacation, yeah. Vacation, Mexico. <laughs> and then Neem. Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll see you guys there. See you there. In the qualifying round at this event, Mike shot a perfect score. The first 600 indoor perfect score ever shot in Asia, and in fact, the first one on the circuit this entire season. It's one of the reasons why he's known as Mr. Perfect. And I got to sit down with Mike and Gabby and talk to them a little bit about their equipment tune and how they set up for indoor archery. When we talk about tuning, we're talking about the process of getting the bow, the arrow, and the archer Mm -hmm. to all work together. Mm -hmm. Whether we're talking about a recurve, like your situation, Gabby, or a compound, like your situation, Mike, those fundamental elements are still the the most important part of the whole scenario of tuning, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get everything to work together harmoniously. Now, Gabby, we're going to start with you talking about tuning your XD and Axia. What's your process? But like, I'm going to start like from scratch. Sure. Um, it's pretty funny because before I like I didn't know anything about tuning because when I was in Mexico, my coach would do everything. And, and, and just to point out that you had a Korean coach in I had Mexico. A Korean, coach, yeah. Korean coaches don't like teaching their shooters much about technology <laughs> or or tuning. But I think I think it saves a lot of time, you know, it saves a lot of time because then you kinda get the information, but you as archer, you kinda want to know why, and it was kinda, it, like for me, it was kinda like easier not to think about it, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, but like, I'm gonna start from, like, from when I get the bow out of the box, you know? I get the bow out of the box, put the limbs, uh, put a new string on it, see if, it's, uh, if the bow's straight, um, 
I have like those biter uh, the biter uh, clips that uh -huh, go on the uh -huh, limb yeah, yeah uh -huh. um, after that I think that I this is I don't know if this is like really bad but I normally put my um, my old button on my <laughs> on my new bow that's like fine. I mean like I don't know if it's if that's kind of bad or I try to like uh, what I do is that I do that with my um, main bow kind of and with my other bow I try to like um, put a button that is kind of like the same. I, I dare a little bit more to move the, the second bow, uh, more than the, the main bow. Yeah, you kind of uh, want to keep the main bow left alone, so you maybe, as you're setting up the new bow, you can compare to the old bow and feel confident that yeah, you've got a good comparison. Kinda, right? kinda, yeah. Um, after that, The implication I just... here being mean, you need three bows. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, last, last year, like, no, was it last year Olympic Games? Yeah, like we, yeah. Mike, Mike helps me with my setup sometimes, most of the time. <laughs> um, and we put three bows together. You know, like I checked it, I check, I check if it's straight, I check the tiller. Um, I normally have like two or three, uh, no, three, um, how do you call it? Like three millimeters difference between uh, yeah. top and bottom. Positive tiller, uh -huh. yeah. three millimeters. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And for those of you folks who don't know what that means, it means that there's a little less distance between the bottom limb in the string and the top limb in the string, making the bottom limb a tiny bit stronger because of the asymmetry of Gabby's release and just about everybody else's, for that matter. Yeah. Like I normally don't put or um, not too much what bottom I have finger. Trouble, I have, what I have trouble with is I don't put a lot of pressure on my last uh, finger, my third finger. Uh, so we do it like that. We, I try like five and two and a half and stuff like that. But like you kind of, when you start like um, tuning your bow your, on your own or like uh, if someone helps you do it, um, you kind of know what uh, what works better for you, sure. you know? Um, yeah, it's an individual thing just like the release of each person is an yeah. individual thing. It is, it is. Before I didn't have like a lot of weight on my stabilizers. Um, yeah, in Mexico I used to train a bunch, so I didn't need to be like so precise with aiming, you know? Yeah. And when I moved here, I put my weights a little bit down and then I, um, that helped me a little bit with the torque of my bow. And um, yeah, like I just uh, became a, a lot more of an aimer than before. Um, and that's basically that I don't do like anything that like no one else is doing, you know? Like yeah. I do that myself. I, I kind of try to do it myself and you know, like, the voices you know sometimes you kind of think that it's okay but you need one person that tells you that is a hundred percent good and that's mikey for me you know like well, he, you could do a lot worse than having mike schlusser tell you if yeah, your yeah, tune yeah. is good <laughs> yeah not like mikey helps me a lot like uh, like i said last year for the olympics we put like three bows together um uh, before I didn't dare to try a lot of um, different things in my bows and thanks to Mike I've been um, experiencing a lot more things and daring a little bit more to, to try more stuff. I think that um, the recurve side is a little bit more uh, in the comfort zone, you know, like we think that like everything needs to be the same as the Koreans because we see them and we see that they shot so they shoot so good. Um, but we probably, as, as um, archers, we don't train as much as they do, or we didn't train in our whole life as much as they uh, did. Um, and we kind of think that the same setup is going to help us, but like, that's not the case always. So I feel like um, 
It's just one stuff. element uh -huh. of the whole structure that they have. Yeah, yeah uh -huh. I think they're trying stuff and, and not trying too much, of course, yeah. but seeing what, what can work for you and maybe ask someone that, like, for example, you're asking me right now, probably someone is going to take uh, my uh, bow setup as as example and they are going to try to replicate it and, um, and see if it works for them, you yeah. know? I think one thing that's interesting is if you look at your bow setup and you look at that of Kim Woo-jin, you're both shooting identical bows except for color. <laughs> and they're very similar in terms of stabilization. They're very similar. Obviously, the weights are not the same. But yeah. other than that, I mean, the mass weights are similar. The draw weights are not the same. But other than that, they have most things in common. Um, are you using in your XD riser the factory installed weights as uh, proportioned or did you pull them out no no no. i just uh didn't even try it to be honest because okay. I, I what i tried is that i took the dampers out of the pocket to uh -huh. see if that would work a little bit um but it didn't work out or like i didn't feel uh like it was kind of better or yeah. worse you know right. so i was kind of like they're supposed to be there for something so i'm just gonna leave them uh on and I feel like that was kind of everything I did, like... So pretty much out of the box. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And normally bows, uh, Hoyt bows always come straight, or like the ones I, I get, they come straight, and or they're really easy to put um, straight, you know? Yeah. Especially with the new bow. The yeah. new bow is just so perfect. Yeah. I, I love it. I really feel like it's... Um, I used to shoot Dexit before, yeah. so for me changing the formula, of course, was kind of like, should I do it, should I not do it, and um, it's just been working really good at the moment. Well, especially with the XD, because of the sight window being as long as it is, yeah. it, it really feels like you're going to a standard, like an XC. Yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. Um, but the balance is really a good feel, and uh, of course it's the same grip system, the same proven, but the thing is, the geometry is different. Yeah, the is. new geometry most shooters who've tried it love it for whatever reason some people can't put their finger on it and some people can quantify it i get the top pocket to do such and such but it seems like it's a really effective way for people to get a good feel with the formula system yeah. and it and has gone over really well you know something really funny uh before the votes came out like uh, i got we went to korea uh, last august and um, I got the notification that my bow was on the way. Uh, Kim Wujin was there training. He was like, oh, my bow is on the way as well. And I was like, are you going to try it for the workout final? He was like, I don't think so. I think I'm going to finish this season with my exceed because it's been shooting so good. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, and then like, I'll try that later. He came to the workout final yeah. and he was shooting with the, with the XD and we yeah. both were kind of like, when you gonna just wait until like the the season was Apparently over? Apparently, pulled out of the box and it just shot so well that he just really liked it a lot. And he posted on Instagram like the couple days afterward with some crazy score, and I guess it gave him confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I, I, I gotta be honest. Like, if he did it like that. If he throws it like that, why shouldn't we do it? You know, yeah. like yeah, like we mortals, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, this is Gabby Schlusser talking about being a mortal. But yeah, compared to Kim Woo Jin, it's kind of yeah, he's almost the Mike Schlusser of, yeah, of, of recurve. He <laughs> he's not quite perfect, but he's up there. Gabby, thanks so much for your insight. You. Mike, mm -hmm. we are here in Taiwan where you have just shot some incredible scores with. Your Stratos, uh -huh, and you are using the, uh, you know, the old reliable cam system, the SVX. <laughs> For sure. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of advantages to both the SVX and the HBT for different things. Mm -hmm. I think that when someone has the kind of shot that you do and the kind of feel that you've acquired over the years, that, you know, I can understand why you'd stay with the, the sort of tried and true and, you know, the descendant of the spiral cam yes. and, and the legendary scores that you've been able to put up mm -hmm. with that type of system. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about your philosophy tuning your Stratos. Uh, for me, choosing the SVX over the HBT is like first of all, a lack of time. Like I've been, like since I got it, I've been competition to competition to competition. So I never really had the time to try the HBT cam. So I like, for me, sticking with the SVX. Like I've been shooting the a spiral style cam even before the C2 cam. Like yeah. I was like I was shooting the spiral and then the C2 and yeah. then the spiral again. So yeah. like I've been. I would say about like since I almost started shooting like yeah, it's I, been foundational I, to yeah, your shooting. Yeah, so like I know what to expect. I know how to set it up. And and, and, and to your point, you've been traveling both of you mm -hmm. about two hundred and something days more than yeah. that in the year, mm -hmm. and it does not really give you a lot of time to tinker around with stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. And like I've been at home, like I've been playing around with HPD cam, but I for some reason I cannot get it as as stable and as confident in it as I wanted with the SVX. So for me, like the Asterix and just shooting better, so that's like an easy choice for me then. Yeah, absolutely. So um, stabilization compared to the previous bow, mm -hmm. um, because of the shift of balance, you know, it's a little more forward mm -hmm. already. Yeah. Were you able to make some adjustments to your rear to front bias at all, or did you leave it alone? No, I um, first instance I left it alone because I felt like it wasn't that much of a change. Like it, for me, like how I see the bows is between the Prevail and the Invicta. So they went back to it, and I didn't swap around any weight difference between the Invicta and the Prevail. Mm -hmm. So I was like, if that's it, in my opinion, it was like it's that's in the middle. So like I'm gonna shoot it the same because I don't think it matters that much. Mm -hmm. But at the end, like after shooting a couple of days with it, I noticed that I was having some up and down movement in my aiming. So I first instant I thought it was camp timing, like the usual suspects, sure. camp timing, um, draw length, whatever. And then at the end, uh, I checked everything and it was exactly what it's supposed to be. So I was, I'm going to just like add like one weight in it and I added- On the front or back? Front. Okay. So yep. front stabilizer added one more weight. Yep. And it slowed it down a lot, the movement. So I added another weight. And then from that moment on, I've been just sticking to that and it's been just aiming. So awesome. plus two and no change on the rear? No, not. The effective difference would be the same if you take two off the rear? Do you think, or do you um, think it would be different I, for you? For me, definitely not. Uh, if I take off uh, off the back, for example, like I get a lot of dip angles. So the moment I add weight on the back bar, like it helps me with the dipping. Yep. So for me, it was like just an up and down movement and not dipping yep. necessarily. Yep. So that that's for me how I decide if I add to the front or take off on the front. One of them is, I'm, I'm moving my hand a particular way, we'll do a little <laughs> diagram, but one of them is like this and the other one's like this, Correct. right? Yeah. So when we talk about up and down movement, the pivot point is more or less at the archer's engagement with the bow, mm -hmm. whereas the dip bang is kind of like the whole unit kind of drops or feels like it's dropping uh, right. a little bit. Yeah. Isn't that more, that's, yeah. That's for sure, like, how I would see it as well. And for me, like, I have been shooting, like, for, like, 20 years now, so I know a lot of things that I, like, don't even need to think about. Like, I know, like, I see my side picture going, and I'm like, okay, this is what needs to happen, yeah. or this is what's, like... Cause and effect. <laughs> so I know, like, by the movement where I was getting, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this, and, and that worked for me. Rest setup? Um, nothing special. Particularly, like almost uh, the same, like nothing changed much. Please describe it for us. Um, I put my like knocking point, like the top 
of my bottom knocking point, about three quarters of the plunger hole. Uh, that's for me the, the point where like I move it up and down a bit to see uh, if I can get a, a, a bow aim steadier. Yeah, you're that's, looking for the vertical reaction on the aim, right? Correct. Uh, so for me, I, um, I started off with, like, of course, the middle of the plunger hole and then I went down and mm. then up again and mm. just seeing what aims naturally the, the smoothest. I normally do this without any stabilizers. Uh, just like do it like natural movement and see what's up. Sure. Because uh, the stabilizer of care, of course, makes it biased. So like for me, like I just don't do anything. Just put on like a, my knocking point on a certain height, put a dealer on, and see how it feels. So sort of the raw feel of the bow without mm. the influence of the stabilization. Correct. So that's how I find my knocking point. Um, I ended up on three quarters on the top, kinda. So like uh, from the bottom to the top, three quarters of the, of the plunger hole. That's my my zero point of my knocking point. And from there on, I just uh, start off with a zero. Um, Are you doing any kind of cam top advance, anything along those lines? No, I'm pretty that even. Um, because of all the weight I have, it's, it's without um, stabilizers, it's it's top ahead. But because of the, the stabilizers that I set up, I have... It uh, actually torques the bow, torques into, the bow a into a zero. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, my left to right is pretty damn far left because I set up my, my cam lean towards my cable guard and um, like in my opinion there are two ways where you can do it is you can put your rest in the middle and move it with your um, with your cam lean uh, for me I do it opposite opposite the way around I do set the cam lean towards my cable guard to get a very natural feeling you're kind of locking in a pre-bias with that kind of Correct. configuration for me um, the the module slides into the cable and that gives me a lot of movement in my aiming so I make sure that when I draw back my bow that the cam like the, the module groove slides nicely into the, the cable. So basically you get more surface area in contact with the cable, which gives you a more secure feel. Correct, yeah, and that like, naturally aims better then. Um, and from there on, I just move my rest to the left. For me, because I talk my bow like how I do, uh, I need to aim, of like uh, move my rest to the left. Yeah. Well, obviously it works. <laughs> yeah, like uh, that's what I've been doing. I've, I've tried multiple things. And, and for me, my biggest part about my shooting style is, is the aiming part. So I put a lot of effort in uh, in aiming, uh, get my bow to aim good. Because especially for indoors, I don't like. For me, it doesn't really matter how my arrow flies because the wind is not going to impact it, and and just aiming nice. I feel like that's where I get my points off, and like that's how I do it. So I like for me the bottom cam. You, I normally shim it to uh, being nicely towards the cable guard, and then the top one. Yeah, it's super easy with the yoke. We're going to start calling you uh, the perfect beast because Steve Anderson just texted me after seeing the scores you just racked up, and he just put one word down. It was beast. <laughs> Mike Schluser and Gabby Schluser. I want to thank you guys for joining us here. Thank you. So interesting uh, point of view, insight. Uh, you know, what it's like to travel to the world while carrying a couple of bows, actually four, and... You know, dealing with the logistics, um, Mike and Gabby together as a team, stronger than each could be individually. It's really, really cool to see this archery couple uh, taking it to the world and having such enthusiasm for competing around the world, going to all of these events. And of course, we'll be seeing much more of them later in the season. Well, that'll wrap it up for the podcast for now. We'll get Steve back on for the next one. We'll go into this subject a little more in depth. We're going to talk a little bit more about equipment tuning for the indoor setup uh, for both compound and recurve coming up. And we've got some interesting news about another podcast that Steve and I are going to be working on. 
that is going to have a little more of the technical side of our sport. We'll uh, update you on that in the next podcast. See you again soon.